This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to the New Yorker Poetry Podcast. I'm Paul Muldoon, the poetry editor of the New Yorker magazine, and it's my great pleasure to welcome you here today. Now, on this program, as some of you may know, we invite a poet to choose a poem from the New Yorker, a poem she or he has published there. But before that, we ask them to choose and read a poem that's been published in the magazine. And my guest today is Major Jackson. His first book, Leaving Saturn, was awarded the 2001 Cavi Canham Poetry Prize. Welcome, Major Jackson. Hi, Paul. Pleasure to be here. Now, the poem you've chosen to read today is by Derek Walcott, and it's called In Italy. Now, you might want to give us some sense of what attracted you to this particular Derek Walcott poem. Well, in addition to being a longtime fan, poets of his stature, whenever I come across a poem of theirs in a magazine, I think it's one of those kind of events. And I remember when this poem was published and there was so much of the usual Walcott, one who has this lush, verdant imagery inside of his poems, but there seemed to be something else ratcheted up and it seemed to be this pitch of emotion. What I admire in Walcott's poem is the spirit of attention and and the pacing of seeing his devotion to create painstakingly a portrait of an Italian seacoast town. I would say one that does not feel like the equivalent of a landscape painting or merely a travel poem. One would also, I think, in the case of Derek Walcott, often use the word painterly because he Mm. is, among other things, a watercolorist. And I think something of his regard for the image does carry over into this poem. That's right. And I think it's the kind of imagery that is emblematic of something beyond what it points to on the surface. There's always a greater meaning with that imagery. And the eye of the painter becomes the eye of the poet. In the a lot E-Y-E. Of insta- the E-Y-E, that's right, that's right. And a certain kind of seeing and almost a new purchase on seeing that we rely on poets, almost a contract that we have with the poet to help us see even more deeper into the world around us. There are a few boats in the poem, and I must say that I'm 
feel very drawn towards uh, those Walcott poems that mm. were included in the schooner flight, particularly mm-hmm. the schooner flight itself. Wonderfully buoyant, exuberant, jubilant poems, enjoying uh, that particular language in which he, Creole, I suppose, in which he uh, was brought up. Yeah, he's made a career of painting this portrait of towns that echo his own particular town, St. Lucia, or island, I should say. And, of course, there's the the fishermen, there's the people, the everyday people that populate his poems and those boats and I think, and the beaches. And so his career, I think, how many ways can we describe, and we get it even in this poem, a wave coming in onto the beach. And he seems to have this endless kind of imagination to make correspondences simply based on his origins of sight, which is that island. And we hear a correspondence here, even with this poem. This poem in Italy is in two sections, and while they're not, strictly speaking, sonnets, they have more than 14 lines, they do somehow appeal to the to the notion of the sonnet. Mm-hmm. There is a structure that we know that the sonnet has. One of them is that turn, the volta. And you'll hear that here. And it comes at a moment in which Walcott is inserting a very personal realization, and that is one of aging and the painful loss and recovery of memories, sometimes memories that are not of us in the best light. There's that wonderful reflective line that goes, the bells of the hilltop tower that number my eras. I I like that emphasis on bells taken out of the context, of course, the the religious context, but one in which they become a metaphor of accumulating the eras that span a lifetime. Well, we should hear in Italy by Derek Walcott, read here by Major Jackson. In Italy, roads shouldered by enclosing walls with narrow cobbled tracks for streets, those hill towns with their stamp-sized squares, and a sea pinned by the arrow of a quivering horizon, with names that never wither for centuries and shadows that are the dial of time, light older than wine, and a cloud like a tablecloth spread for lunch under the leaves. I have come this late to Italy, but better now, perhaps, than in youth that is never satisfied whose joys are treacherous, while my hair rhymes with those far crests, and the bells of the hilltop towers number my eras, because we are never where we are, but somewhere else, even in Italy. This is the bearable truth of old age. But count your benedictions, those fields of sunflowers, the torn light on the hills, the haze of the unheard Adriatic, while the day still hopes for possibility, cloud shadows racing the slopes. The blue windows, the lemon-colored counterpane, the knowing that the sea is behind the avenue with balconies and bicycles, that the gelid traffic mixes its fumes with coffee, transient interiors, transient bedsheets, 
and the transient view of sea-salted hotels with spiky palms, in spite of which summer is serious, since there is inevitably a farewell to arms, to the storm-haired beauty who will disappear. The shifted absence of your axes, love wobbles on your body's pivot to the carriage's shudder as it glides past the roofs and beaches of the Ligurian coast. Things lose their balance and totter from the small blows of memory. You wait for revelations, for leaping dolphins, for nightingales to loosen their knotted throats, for the bell in the tower to absolve your sins, like the furled sails of the homecoming boats. That was In Italy by Derek Walcott, which was published in the April 21, 2008 issue of the magazine. You wait for revelations, you wait for leaping dolphins, for nightingales. The suggestion might be, I suppose, that you wait for those, but they may not actually come. That's interesting, right? I mean, to some extent, I think revelations or the kind of Joycean epiphanies that one wants out of a lived life, sometimes they emerge with that kind of out of nowhere. With the, That's what I think that those leaping dolphins are there for. Those uh, dolphins come partly from Lowell, I suppose, partly oh, from Yeats. Oh, listen to that, yes. And the nightingales, I suppose, are creeping in and via Keats. Keats. Yes, so yes. It's, the whole thing is charged with a kind of poetic yeah. uh, landscape, I well, suppose, that sort of lies just behind this one. That's right. And you hear also this kind of intertextual conversation with Hemingway, Farewell to Arms, right? And you're right, there's Keats, there is Lowell. These are the foundations of Walcott coming into being as a writer, and he constantly has been in conversation with these particular poets. You're mentioning Lowell reminds me that I, I probably should say that Walcott is also a poet of echoes, and by that I mean a writer who has a faith in the power of sonic figures to carry meaning and delight, what Robert Frost referred to, of course, as the marriage of sound and sense. So he doesn't disappoint here. You can hear those beautiful rhymes coming in, arrow and narrow and wine. And there's a certain kind of faith in sound to carry meaning that we expect from him. Yeah, and an example of that, if I may suggest to you, is that the first part of the poem, section one, Mm -hmm. ends with this um, full chiming couplet, hopes and slopes, whereas the second part, the throats and boats are there, but they're not actually, they're not a a full couplet. The the word sins intercedes, as it were. It suggests to me that there's less certainty about how things are really shaping up. It's interesting you say that because I think one of the reasons why Walcott is not discussed in disparaging terms in terms of his relationship to form and structure is because it's not there. there is this kind of relaxed attitude towards rhyme. It's not a policy for him. But that kind of veering and swerving, almost willy-nilly, the occasional sound sonic echoes that come up, they don't ring like a mallet on the air. They become these kind of beautiful flourishes just below excess. 
But I feel somehow that in this case it doesn't ring as it might in, a, say, the close of a Shakespeare sonnet mm-hmm. because there's not the same kind of certainty lurking about. That's right. The certainty of emotion, the certainty of observation. As we discussed earlier, there is this, the revelations that may come or may not come. And so that the use of rhyme, those sonic echoes, is mimetic of the speaker's interior. As you say, that uncertainty has a certain form. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast, a weekly television podcast that obsesses over all things TV. Chris, Hillary, and I are at your service to recap and analyze the best that's out there and what you should be watching. Plus, we're talking to the stars and showrunners about how exactly it all got made. New episodes of Still Watching drop weekly wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, in the December 25th, 2000 issue, there on Christmas Day, the New Yorker (laughs) published your poem, How to Listen, which you're going to read for us uh, in a moment. But before you do so, is there anything that you might like to alert us to before you launch into it? I know I usually ask this question, but honestly, as the you have an opportunity to listen to the podcast again, of course, but I think it's really useful for our listener to have a sense of, for example, the resonance of Midlinchy's Tavern. <laughs> I guess that's an Irish bar, is it? It's an Irish bar where it's an icon, it's historic. This was a place where a bunch of Philadelphia writers would hang out and, and other kind of characters, you know. And so over the years, a bunch of stories have accumulated around McGlinchey's. I remember when this poem was fact-checked, she called me up and let me know that McGlinchey's wasn't on Locust, that it was on 15th Street. And she's right. It's right on the corner, right on the corner there. But somehow you managed to persuade our, our fabulous <laughs> fact-checker that, in fact, it was okay I, to I describe took poetic it. license there. And yeah. did she, ex- she accepted your poetic license? Yes, she did license? accept it. Yes, she was did. Was it a little bit like a liquor license? <laughs> Temporary liquor license. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So How to Listen by Major Jackson, read by the author. How to Listen. I'm going to cock my head tonight like a dog in front of McGlinchey's Tavern on Locust. I'm going to stand beside the man who works all day, combing his thatch of gray hair, corkscrewed in every direction. I'm going to pay attention to our lives, unraveling between the forks of his fine-toothed comb. For once, we won't talk about the end of the world, or Vietnam, or his exquisite paper shoes. For once, I am going to ignore the profanity and the dancing in the jukebox so I can hear his head crackle beneath the sky's stretch of faint stars. That was How to Listen, read there by the author Major Jackson. I don't suppose there is a great number of poems having to do with static electricity. (laughs) Well, this one emerged out of recalling in Philadelphia, probably on that particular corner, although I, I probably mailed it, this poem in a, in a sketch of, of this particular guy who would stand on the street combing his hair and looking up at the sky. And some part of, of course, of you realizes, oh, this is 
some person who's probably not wound right. But then another part of you realizes that here is a life and here is probably someone who, in fact, I remember he had on, he would wear a army jacket. And I just naturally assumed that he had served his country and here he was on the streets. And so I melded my fondness for McGlinchey's and all the writers that I remember meeting there growing up with this portrait of someone whose hair I remember walking by was crackling almost like lightning, so so to speak. Yeah. Now, how are your own um, influences? I mean, one of the things that happens uh, to writers, of course, is that uh, with any luck, she or he will find her or, or his own voice, as they call it. Fortunately, I've had some great teachers, Sonia Sanchez, for whom I think I've gotten my sense of music, the poet Garrett Hongo, who kind of called my attention to the way poems are in conversation with poets of other centuries and other countries, but also poets for whom I either met or encountered, but never met, poets on the page. Lowell was one such poet, but a whole host of poets, I feel, are behind my writing. And I would say poets like Sharon Oates and the poet that we just lost, Philip Levine, huge, enormous influence. I mean, something about his writing of Detroit, Gwendolyn Brooks' writing of Chicago, made me want to look at my own neighborhood for inspiration, which I made the foundation of most of my early work. Philadelphia, that would be. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you very much indeed, and thank you for allowing us to listen to How to Listen. Um, Major Jackson, uh, and thank you for reading for us Derek Walcott's poem in Italy. Thank you, Paul. It was a deep pleasure. Both of those may be found on newyorker.com. Derek Walcott's latest book of new poems is White Egrets, but a volume of his collected poems, The Poetry of Derek Walcott, was published as recently as 2013, and Major Jackson's most recent collection is Holding Company. But I also have a new book coming out. And that is... Roll Deep. Roll Deep. You can subscribe to this podcast... The New Yorker Out Loud podcast, the fiction podcast, and not to speak of the political scene podcast, in the iTunes store. You can hear more poetry read by the authors in the tablet edition of the magazine. The poetry podcast is produced by Jill Duboff and Alex Barron. I'm Paul Muldoon, poetry editor of The New Yorker. Until next time, thank you. You can subscribe to this podcast and other free New Yorker podcasts in the iTunes store. You can hear more poetry read by the authors in newyorker.com and on the digital edition for tablets and phones at no extra charge from the App Store or from Google Play. The theme music is The Pintigree Ferryman from the album The Highlander's Farewell by Alastair Fraser and Natalie Ross from Colburny Records. The New Yorker Poetry Podcast was produced by Jill Duboff and Alex Barron of NewYorker.com with help from Elizabeth Dennison. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. 
In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts.